Good evening, everyone, and welcome to The Real Science Exchange, the podcast where leading scientists and industry professionals meet over a few drinks to discuss the latest ideas and trends in animal nutrition. Spring is upon us in most parts of the world, and the heat of summer is not far behind. And the impact of that heat uh, has on our cows is devastating. Hi, I'm Scott Sorrell, one of your hosts here at The Real Science Exchange. Managing dairy cows in high heat environments um, takes a com combination of mechanical interventions and precise feeding. Tonight, we get the opportunity to discuss both with experts from both sides. I can't wait to jump in. And so with that, first guest I'd like to welcome is Dr. Israel Flammenbaum from Cow Cooling Solutions. Dr. Flammenbaum joins us following a very successful webinar about this topic on uh, the Real Science Lecture Series. Thanks for joining us today, Israel. And uh, I know you were drinking a lemonade earlier. So what's in your glass tonight, though? Well, I saved this for the podcast. And this is Aperol Spritz. And this is a very sweet, bitter drink that I like to drink. Uh, it's with ice. Uh, usually, I drink it more in the summer than in winter. But this uh, gives me a lot of uh, good feeling. So cheers to everybody. Uh, cheers. Thank you very much. Uh, we have several guests joining us uh, here at the pub tonight. Uh, the next will be uh, Shimon Carmi with uh, SH Design uh, in Israel as well. Shimon and I have known each other for a few years, and Shimon, I don't know um, if the last time or one of the last times that we were together, we were on a rooftop, I think it was at uh, Lake Como, and uh, I was sipping some wine, and as I recall, we were discussing proper dairy facility design. So looking forward to having that conversation with you here today. Might prefer to be at Lake Como, but uh, this this is going to have to do. Shimon, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? I know you started out working as, as a, uh, a dairyman uh, on a kibbutz, and then you, you worked with uh, Afim Milk. Can you kind of give us an appreciation of your background? Well, uh, first of all, I was born 200 meters below sea level. And uh, my experience with dairy farming since uh, 1969 started 200 meters below sea level. Uh, right uh, uh, one and a half mile south of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. And so uh, my first uh, farm research on cooling cows were, was actually cooling uh, dry cows or close-up cows. This was back in 1980. We saw in this uh, experiment that the uh, cows, uh, three weeks before calving, if you uh, cool them only twice a day in the holding pen, they will give more milk. At that time, we didn't have Afi milk uh, at our disposal, but uh, we uh, had uh, DHI the four first uh, months of uh, lactation. They already produced uh, uh, three kilos of milk more. I'm talking about 1980. And we had... Uh, less retained placentas, we had uh, less metritis, and we had bigger, uh, bigger uh, offsprings, bigger calves, and easier uh, birth. So it was um, uh, enlightening, and the year after, we did the same thing with uh, heifers. Uh, in uh, in the three weeks before calving. And so at that time, we already knew that uh, in the Jordan Valley in Israel, cows really suffer from heat. Uh, we, we were at that time aiming all our uh, calvings uh, to the uh, end of summer and the beginning of autumn uh, because in the summer, the cow uh, would not conceive. And we're talking about uh, animals that are produ were producing 8,000 kilos of uh, milk per lactation, and uh, 
And even though they uh, had a very severe heat stress. And uh, so uh, I was born into it. And I think uh, the first meeting with Israel was when he was young, <laughs> student in the university. I think one of his projects was in, in, in my kibbutz. <laughs> Yeah, just just to add to to Shimon, uh, this this study describing the in eighty was uh, was uh, I can call it a preliminary study because it was uh, it opened the the research which was later on my PhD, and I did in eighty three the 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 large uh, study on on cooling dry cows in in Kibbutz Yavne, which is uh, one of my publications in the Journal of Dairy Science, drying uh, cooling cow, drying uh, uh, cooling dry cows. So the preliminary study was done by Shimon and uh, uh, his uh, his good colleague uh, Katriel Tavori, which was uh, what uh, he passed away uh, many years ago, and uh, they were a team to do this work. Ah, very interesting. With us. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, uh, Shimon. Look forward to talking to you a little bit more. We also have Dr. Lance Baumgard with us. Uh, Lance, you joined us last year on the podcast and uh, looking on building on the conversation we had last year with you. Um, so what are you drinking tonight and uh, any stories behind that? Well, I'm currently in my office at Iowa State University, so it would be inappropriate <laughs> for me, of course, to be drinking adult everything. I would never do that, Scott. Uh yeah. But if I was, I'd be drinking a Red Breast 12. I enjoy bourbon and Canadian whiskeys, but have a fondness for Irish whiskeys. And um, Red Breast 12, if you ever get a chance, it is a smooth whiskey. Yep. I've had it. had it in, in Ireland. And as I recall, you were having that last year as well. So, yeah, yeah good stuff. One of my favorites. Yeah, good. Uh, tonight, my co-host is Dr. Glenn Ains. Glenn Ains is a technical uh, service manager with, with Balchem. Glenn, I don't know how many times you've been here, but uh, two or three times. So you must be enjoying yourself. So welcome back. And uh, what, what are you drinking tonight? Any stories behind that? Oh, always good to be here, Scott. Uh, and as you know, I'm already I'm deep into uh, the warm weather. So I'm drinking a little uh, cranberry vodka and Sprite, just a little spritzer. It's uh, one of my favorite drinks on, on the hot, sweaty days here in Florida. So awesome. So what are you drinking, Scott? Yeah. What's so, well, my son uh, for Christmas bought me a, a little um, oak cask. And it's a kit to make your own bourbon. So I did that, and last week I, I harvested that. And so I'm drinking a Noah's Reserve. Noah's the name of my son. So <laughs> cheers. Looking forward to, to a great awesome. uh, podcast, uh, folks. Cheers. Cheers, Scott. Tonight's Pubcast Toast is brought to you by Nitrisure Precision Release Nitrogen. Maximize room and microflora with the consistent release of Nitrisure to turn up the dial on rumen efficiency and productivity. Visit balchem.com to learn more. All right, Israel, to get us started, uh, why don't you give us kind of an overview of the climate there in Israel and, and, and what the Israeli dairy farmers are dealing with? Well, uh, I described it in, in, in my lecture. Uh, summer summer uh, is different in, in uh, the high, uh, let's say, uh, the mountain area and the, the Jordan Valley. It's totally different. The, the place where uh, Shimon uh, came from, uh, which is in the Jordan Valley, um, his uh, cows are, suffer heat stress for for almost six months per year, while in the mountains... It, well, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in, in the mountains, uh, it, it will be, it will be uh, uh, not more than two, three months. And even uh, in these two, three months, it is not uh, all the time. So uh, summers can be very variable, but uh, but the cooling system is the same, and uh, the, the length of 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 uh, or the duration of using it uh, is different. So you talked a lot about during your webinar um, about uh, mechanical cooling, uh, use of water. Um, how what role does the the facility design have in that, in in, in cooling cows? And, and specifically, let me be a little more specific. Maybe this is also a question for Shimon, but I, I, I'm just uh, reckoning back to some of the conversations that we had is that you guys provide quite a large 
a loafing area, if you will, under uh, under shade, which is different than what we do here. We have the free stalls, and you all really don't have the free stalls there. What role does that play, if any, in uh, heat mitigation? Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that uh, there are uh, a few factors. First of all, uh, roofs are very high. Uh, a lot of space per cow, which uh, uh, let's say reduce the risk of uh, one cow hitting uh, another cow. Uh, much uh, better, uh, let's say, natural wind if you have it uh, uh, in the in the um, compost barn uh, farms. Uh, we try to, uh, even though that the roofs are very high, we try to. Uh, repaint the white uh, the, the the roofs from up uh, every second or third year then reflection is 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 better but uh, but I, I so this this can help but the problem is not uh, even not climate the problem is the cow and the reason i'm 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 visiting so frequently europe now is not because climate change in europe so much as cows change in europe so much in the last 20 years, the European cow uh, doubled its production. And as I showed you in my lecture, when we had the 25 kilograms cow, uh, she could, she could uh, let's say, resist six hours between uh, uh, one cooling session and another. And with uh, 45 or 50 kilograms per day, uh, generating more than double watts of heat, she cannot tolerate more than three or four hours. So this the, the the big difference the big change is not climatic change but cow change I would I would say. So how does that affect your managing groups in in Israel? If, if higher producing cows need more cooling, do you are you breaking them up into two or three groups based on production or how do you how do you manage that? Look, look, well, the reality in Israel is that we don't have low producing cows. <laughs> <laughs> we don't uh, divide cows according to uh, to groups, uh, production groups, in order to cool them differently. We yeah. cool all the cows according to the high producing cows. So, we would say yes. that most of the dairy farms in Israel are uh, having one diet for all the herd. So there is no any reason put cows in different groups uh, for 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 cooling them in different uh, different let's say intensities. So all the cows receive. First of all, all the cows are high-producing cows. We dry off cows with more than 30 kilograms. Uh, so, so all the cows receive the same treatment. Okay, makes sense. Shimon, your, your comments, though, about days and milk is something I was wanting to ask Israel for a long time, is that the winter-to-summer ratio would be, I would assume, heavily influenced by differences in days and milk between the two seasons. So, Israel, do you want to, or Shimon, one of you want to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I am, I am responsible responsible for for uh, for the summer to winter ratio. Uh, actually, I got I got uh, one of uh, I got a, an email from one of the participants uh, uh, saying asking this question. Uh, you are you are right, and in the in the NOAA, which is the uh, herd management program in Israel. We divide it to uh, different stages in lactation. So we have summer to winter ratio for different stages in lactation. So uh, what, let's say 0, 50, 50, 100, 100, 200, 200 more. And then you, you reduce the risk of, of, uh, of uh, having a bias uh, information. But uh, we use also for once a year. Uh, the, 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 let's say the complete one with all the risks. But you, you, you see, for example, Zelim Farm. I, I, I decided to show Zelim Farm because I wanted to show uh, what is the potential of cow cooling in a very uh, extreme uh, uh, warm weather, which is the title of my lecture, and with very high milk producing cows. They are today in 50 kilograms per cow average held average and and this is done by very very let's say very intensive cooling as as i described but but my the idea of showing uh, zelim in my lecture was to show that it is possible and and uh, i have a, a, a group of 15 20 farms that 
every year, year by year, they are they are coming with the same results. You understand? So so it's it's important to know that it is possible. Yes, we can. Yeah. Yeah. But it would also be defined. You need you need to define summer and winter, right? Because when when do you define winter? Is it just based off of uh, specific months? Are you doing temperature? You know what I'm saying? Well, well, uh, in Israel it is uh, January, March, and then uh, it is uh, July, uh, September. But for example, when I started a, a project in North Mexico in in Torreon. Uh, we decided to to uh, to have also June uh, in 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 one. So we had to add uh, December in the in the other side to to have four months versus four months. But okay. uh, it depends on on climatic conditions. Sure. Yep. And there are places in the world that you cannot use summer to winter ratio. For example, uh, 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 in many parts of uh, Brazil, I am working in Brazil and I I co-owner of a company in Brazil. There are many places in Brazil that, that it, it's very difficult because you have summer and summer and summer. Uh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Israel, uh, for those that didn't uh, attend the webinar, do you think it'd be appropriate maybe just kind of back up, kind of give a, a definition of, of what the winter-summer uh, ratio is and, and what that is and maybe some of the background uh, for that? Uh, yeah, uh, we, we want to uh, know first uh, uh, how much a farm is uh, uh, suffering from heat stress. And later on, when he implements cooling system, how much successfully he is in, in mitigating heat stress. So we take the average uh, average of different parameters. Uh, it's milk production, uh, it's uh, fat, protein, somatic cell count, peak lactation, conception rate. And we relate the, 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 the averages in, in summer and in winter. As, and as summer numbers are close to the winter, it means that uh, this farm is doing well. And if, uh, if uh, uh, they are very far from it, like uh, I showed the, 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 the failing farms uh, 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 being uh, below 0.9, they, 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 have, uh, they have to do a lot in order to, be, to, uh, to improve. If you go to the article from United States, and you compare the southern states to the northern state, states, uh, you can see a big difference. The northern states are like Israel, which is much warmer, and the southern states are much below Israel. And they are they are like the failing farms in Israel. So uh, this this article shows that still uh, U.S. dairy farms have to do a lot to improve themselves. Uh, as, as we did in the last 20, 30 years. So if I understood you, the index is more than just simply the ratio of winter to summer milk. You're, you're including other variables, milk protein, yeah, yeah. milk fat. Okay. Yeah. Scott didn't give me more than 45 minutes, so I had to be very short. <laughs> it's, also, it's, it's also, it's also uh, a situation which is specifically uh, correct in Israel that uh, milk consumption in the summer is higher and the uh, natural desire of the cow is to produce less milk in the summer. So we are going to fight the cow uh, by cooling it. And uh, it's not the same thing all over the world. For example, Israel sent me back in 1993 to uh, to Central America, which I spent six years in El Salvador. Over there, you have to cool cows 24-7 year-round. So I think that's yeah. a great segue, gentlemen, into talking a little bit about, um, so what methods do you use there in Israel to cool cows? What are the most effective? The most effective system is what I described as the, the direct cooling system, which is a, a, a combination of wetting and false ventilation. Short wetting sessions with very intensive, uh, strong uh, wind speed in sequences. Uh, it, it, we found it uh, relatively uh, cheap to handle, uh, easy to handle. And, uh, and uh, it is effective uh, in, 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 uh, in uh, let's say, uh, uh, humid areas because the alternative of trying to cool the air in, 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 in humid uh, conditions is very tough. You can do it, but, but you have to 
you you have to uh, cycle the wind inside the building so fast that you 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 have to spend a lot of electricity. So a system that works very well in Saudi or in uh, the Emirates or in Arizona uh, will not work in, in in most of parts of Israel. So we decided to go for for the uh, direct cooling system, and it, it works very well. And 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 uh, what I showed is that it's, it is so cost effective that there is no uh, another investment uh, in the dairy sector that can pay be paid back so fast like cooling if you do it properly. But if you don't do it properly, as I showed, uh, you lose your pants. You, <laughs> or you, you, you either do it well or don't do it. I, I, I want to make an, a comment. We have tried uh, cooling the uh, environment of the cows to the extent that it's so foggy under the roof of the cows that uh, the temperature outside is uh, above 100 degrees and inside the barn it was maybe 70. But when you look at the cows, they had to get rid of the humidity in the air. And therefore, this system, even in the driest weather in Israel, in the desert, it didn't work as well as direct cooling of cows. Look, so, there, there, is, there is something else. United States, you have, in most of the dairy farms in United States, you have a very cold winter and, and, and warm uh, summer. So your buildings are needs to be done uh, first of all for the winter, uh, like in North China also, uh, North uh, and other cool uh, areas. In Israel, we have uh, uh, in most of Israel we have four uh, warm months. So for these four uh, uh, warm months, uh, we 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 do not need to have buildings uh, which are uh, we can have buildings with high roofs and much space per cow. So to cool this volume, these cubic meters, it's very expensive. So, so we go for a direct cooling system also because of this region, because the rest of the eight months per year, we enjoy good buildings without any need of cooling. Uh, in Brazil, in Brazil, where the situation is different, we are trying to find a solution and change the, the, the space per cow between the warm and the cooler season by putting curtains, etc. But this is Brazil. Israel is different. We have clear summer, not very long in most parts of Israel, not in the Jordan Valley. And we have all the rest of the year is, is quite good. So we enjoy good housing to our cows, very comfortable. Shimon, do you guys have feeding uh feed available in those cooling pens no in the holding pens or in a cooling pen there is only water troughs uh and and the question is 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 very is very to the point because when we release the cows from the holding pen they will go straight to the feed manager and they will eat uh, for about 20 minutes or half an hour, then they will lie down during the cud. And uh, by the time they get up, we have to bring them back to the holding pen. Look, uh, uh, feeding is like what I, I showed about standing and laying down. Uh, if you cool properly the cow, although you make the cow stand more time, in the 24 hours, she will lay down more time. The same is with feeding. If you if you don't cool the cows and you provide feed all the days, they will eat less than if you take six hours from their from their eating time for cooling. The, the rest uh, eighteen hours they will eat more. More more than that. If you have a cooling system in the feed manger, sometimes the cow will get up. She will stand in the feed manger. She would not eat. And after 10 minutes, she will, uh, she will start chewing the cud. And uh, she just come to the feed manger to cool itself. So it's, uh, 
it's 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 the cow get used to it and uh they would they would take their head out of the out of the barn because the water don't uh, they don't like the water on their heads i'm just curious if we've looked at this winter summer index uh in any form here in the united states as a guide for helping people understand cooling yeah yeah i think uh Callier and others have kind of picked up on that a little bit. Like someone mentioned earlier in in the um, in the webinar, it doesn't. I don't think it works quite as well in the Midwest where we have heat waves. Mm -hmm. uh, the one metric I think might that it might work better in the Midwest, United States, is maybe uh, like preg rate or conception rate, where it's you know, a cumulative amount of time. But milk yield will go, you know, ebbs and flows yeah. with heat waves, so it's I'm not sure of, of its utility in the Midwest, but from a pregnancy perspective, I think there's a there's some there's some value there. Yeah, as I watched his uh, presentation, you know, I kept looking at the the milk production differences were relatively small from a percentage standpoint, but though those conception rate differences were huge, they were 60, 70 percent. Um, we have uh, similar swings in preg rates. Yes, even at the Iowa State Dairy, we'll be. Able high 20s, low 30s in the winter and mid-teens in the summer. Mm -hmm. Lance, you said that you'll see volleys of milk going up and down depending on the heat waves that come through. And yet uh, what Israel showed us in the webinar is that he's virtually able to mitigate all the impact of, of heat stress. And so how do we do that if you're having uh, volleys of, of, of heat come through? I well, I, I think I think the physics is the, the physics and approach is the same. You know, evaporative cooling, forced air, works even in relatively high humid areas like Iowa. Now, does it work as well in, as it does in uh, Israel or Arizona? No, you lose some efficiency, but um, evaporative cooling, I still think, is the primary method of mitigating heat stress, even in relatively humid areas. Mm -hmm. I think the the extent the extent of the heat stress and the length of the heat stress um, makes the uh, Midwest dairy farmer think seven times before he installs cooling system, and and that's uh, that's that's a pity really because uh, if he would look to his animals before they go down in milk, they will breathe heavily if you just look at the cow you don't have to measure temperature you look at the cow you see the the, the movement of the belly uh, of the lungs and you will realize immediately that this animal is or this herd is in in stress uh, normally when we have the first uh, cows and not really panting but uh, somewhat more, instead of 40 breezes uh, a minute, if you already see 50, for us, it's a time to, to start cool the cows. Mm -hmm. And once we start, we do not stop. We just yeah. intensivate the cooling uh, practices as the summer goes uh goes on and we reduce the amount of uh, cooling uh, sessions or the length of cooling sessions at the beginning of October and we finish at the end of October uh, depending on the on the on, on the uh, uh, weather at, at the specific year uh, what we already what we also see if there is a big heat stress spell during, for example, September, we see drop in milk, even in the farms that uh, are good cow have good cow, uh, cow cooling practices. The difference between them and the other one, the, the other farms, it uh, it it, re it remains low in the milk for a couple of days, and then the heat spell is gone, and immediately the cow cows go up. 
while in the more uh, moderate cooling farms, it will take them sometimes weeks and sometimes months until the cows, uh, for example, last year, uh, not last year, the year before, 1920, we had a three-week uh, terrible heat stress in September. And all the country has gone down in milk like three or four kilos on the average. Yeah, I think we're sometimes not proactive enough uh, here in the U.S. in terms of, of cooling our cows. Uh, you seem to see that a lot. I don't know if that's just, you know, people not anticipating it or they're concerned about the expense associated with it or whatever. I just don't think we're, we're generally speaking, proactive enough, particularly in the North. Yeah, I think... Farmers, farmers think about expenses all over the world. The, the issue is to, to show them numbers. Uh, when, I, when, I, uh, uh, when I was in the ministry, I, I uh, worked more on the, on, let's say, on the physical and, and, and let's say, uh, physical uh, aspect of cooling, how to cool the cows, uh, uh, when to cool the cows, how much to cool the cows. But when I retired, and I, I, my job will be consulting farms on how uh, to cool cows, I understood that the, the first thing I have to do is to show them how much money it yields. And, and that, that's, that, that was the time when I uh, 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 created with an economist this spreadsheet, which calculates the cost effectiveness. And when we started putting the numbers just of feed and, and feed, feed efficiency and, and total milk production, yet without any any uh, numbers on fertility and on health which we are going to do now we 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 we, we saw that uh, uh, the, the the investment it uh, uh, returns very very fast uh, so uh, what i'm doing today uh, in my in my project is to to talk money because th that's what you have to do to talk money it's also animal welfare okay it's also sustainability okay but farmer is interested first of all in money, and wish I show him that he, he can make a lot of money. Or oh, first of all, I show him that he is losing a lot of money by doing nothing. I, I I published an article. One of the articles you have, Scott, is farmer, stop, stop paying double taxes. You pay one tax, income tax, and you pay one tax to nature, and this tax to nature. Is, is, is a lot of money. Stop paying this tax at least. You cannot stop paying the income tax, <laughs> but, but you can stop paying the tax to the nature. And, and, and then when we started putting numbers of cost of uh, equipment and cost of, uh, of uh, um, operation, which is mostly electricity, we saw that uh, the return is so fast that it is a pity so, uh, so I think that uh, maybe uh, you need in the United States to dig much profoundly with your farmers in this topic, money. <laughs> Americans are known as, 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 uh, as, as people that uh, everything is, is, uh, is, is uh, calculation, uh, calculated. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so why don't you go and show them uh, how much they are losing and how much they can stop losing because you don't make more money in summer. You just stop losing money when you cool the cows. What, what uh, Israel, you were saying that, you know, you pay a tax, but in reality, you're going to pay a tax, particularly if you don't cool dry cows. You're going to pay that tax year after year after year because of the multi-generational effects that can occur if you don't cool those dry cows in terms of uh, cows in the future that those calves now produce less milk. Uh, and that can go on for year after year after year, as Jeff Dahl's research has demonstrated. Ezra, I believe it was in your summary of the webinar. You talked about this investment, and, and that's a key, but, but there, there's also an element you must do it right. You must use that investment correctly. Definitely. Am I paraphrasing that right? And so if you wouldn't mind, maybe can you talk about what doing it right is, you know, whether it's frequency and, and methodology and all those things? Yeah, uh, uh, this is this is another article in the in the list I sent to you. It is called Wind, Water, Time, 
and cow. That's all you need in order to cool properly your cows. And when I say wind, is a, the wind speed of three meters per second to blow the air and to evaporate the water. Water is good sprinkling. And I show pictures of well-socked cow and not well-socked cow. So if, if you use uh, fine droplets and, and this and not uh, enough pressure, uh, these droplets will not penetrate, will not suck the cow. So you, you don't cool. The third one is time. And these are the six cumulative hours because uh, uh, people think that uh, if, you, if you cool the cows for 10 minutes, you did mm -hmm. the job. But you cannot, you cannot eliminate uh, 3,000 watts of heat in 10 minutes. So you need a lot of time. And this is the article I described. And the last one is the cow. So you ask me, what, what does it, what, what is this, this means, cow? I say, I come, I visit a lot of farms that have the sprinklers walking, the fence walking, and the cows laying down, which means that they, are, they, 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 are, they, are, uh, they, they don't make the effort to, to make sure that the cows are in the cooling site, in the feed line, when they are operating the system. So if you use these four pillars, you will get good cooling. It's, it's, it's so simple. It's so, uh, let's say, obvious that sometimes I, I, I take out the, the, the few hours that still remain in my head and say, why don't they understand it? Yeah. You know, I recall a, a trip I took to China one time and uh, we were at a, a very nice dairy and um, the gentleman had this this uh, amazing cooling system with the big radiators at the end of the barn that would pull the the air the cooled air across and we were and it was hot that day and we were asking him about it and uh so he decided to turn it on and we should have already been on and it worked amazing how cool uh, we and the cows got after he turned it on so anyway it's um just a funny story it's a, it sounds funny but this is the reality in so many farms unfortunately yeah, yeah. Israel, I had, you, you made a comment about drinking water, which I would have a year ago totally agreed with you. Um, Bob Collier and I got some data now that demonstrate in lactating cows, when they get heat stress, the lower producing cows will drink more, but the actual high producing cows uh, drink less. Water consumption actually goes down and Joe McFadden that also has some similar data now. So it's two different experiments kind of showing the same thing. So I wonder um, if our interpretation of, of drinking is dependent upon how much milk they're making. In other words, if a cow needs to maintain hydration, one easy way of doing that is just shutting off the mammary tap, right? Reducing, <laughs> reducing milk yield is one way that she can maintain a healthy hydration. But, and, and the reason I'm, I guess I'm bringing that up is because one of the things I hear from Midwest farmers, especially is they don't like cooling cows uh, because it creates uh, a sloppy dairy. You know, the, the alleyways get sloppy and wet and they have to pay to get rid of that water. <clears throat> and then the cows get dirtier and stuff like that. Because they don't cool cows in the, in the right spot. If they will cool them in a holding pen, they would not get the sloppy uh, alleys. So that's an interesting so thing, uh, Shimon. You know, the pro I don't know if it's a problem, but one of our, especially on larger dairies, they want their parlor used as much as possible. They rarely want the parlor shutting down. So that holding pen is rarely has an open spot. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. they would need to create a, essentially a new completely pen for these holding what we do. areas. This is what we do in Israel. That's I started do. doing it in Mexico because I had to cool cows in a 5,000 uh, cows uh, farms where, uh, where, where they were milking for 23 hours in, in, a, in a carousel. So I, 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 another article in your, <laughs> in your list, uh, Scott, about uh, La Cantabra dairy farm in, 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 in North Mexico. So we built special cooling yards and we use them in order to, uh, to uh, let's say, expand the time the cows are getting uh, cooling when they are before and after milking session. And another pens for cooling the cows in between milking sessions. So 
everything is feasible, uh, Lance. But what, what, but what you say about about drinking water? I will tell you uh, how I came to this conclusion. When I when I did my PhD, I had two groups: uh, one side cool cows, another uh, side uh, non cool cows. And, and at that time, uh, Professor Mimi Berman, that unfortunately passed away, uh, told okay. me, yeah, he passed away, ninety four years old. Oh, he, uh, he, he, he said to me, Israel, why, why won't you put, put a, a flow meter in each one of the sites? And then we will measure the, the amount of water uh, consumed in, in, in one side, the control group, and the other uh, side, which is the water troughs and the sprinklers. And at the end of the summer, uh, we measured, and it was the same amount. Unfortunately, I was not clever enough to put it in one of my articles coming out from my PhD. But this evidence is the basis of what I'm saying. If you will come with new uh, information, it will be very interesting. I didn't know it. I'm very sorry very, to hear this about Mimi Bierman. He's uh, very, uh, Lance, it's, uh, it's maybe due to the difference in the genetics of cows, the cows that are uh, producing more milk, the rumen is much more efficient. And therefore, maybe uh, they, they drink less water. I think one of your friends in Israel, you know Uzim Walim, right? Of course. So he has a lot of data about specific cows in the 20 odd years that he's measuring feed consumption and production. And he found extremely difference in in uh, in uh, uh, efficiency of milk production of high producing cows. So uh, I think the, the question of how much water the cow drinks is is uh, is a very important issue. And what you have found that uh, farmers in the Midwest don't like to cool cows, and the other uh, research that shows that cows that are uh, producing more milk drink less water is, is, is very interesting. Well, I, I don't know if I should say they don't like cooling cows. They don't like the having to pay to get rid of water, right? So when they see the, when they see the waterers or the sprinklers running and there's not a cow underneath of it, it frustrates them. Yeah, well, uh, we have found in Israel also a solution for that. Uh, sensors that will turn off, turn on the cooling system in the in the feeding manger only if there is four cows around the, the fan. Yeah. We have few farms that have, have uh, uh, installed these uh, uh, sensors. So in our technology, everything, you know, is 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 uh is available feasible just a matter of price and uh i understand the farmer that don't like to see the sprinklers run off and the cows are lying down in the ho in, <laughs> in the cubicles sure. yeah. it's uh, it really it, it is frustrating so i assume you guys are israel has looked at uh, your feed line cooling versus these holding pens that you're talking about. And you've decided that the holding pens is a better, more efficient, more profitable route. It's more profitable, but at the end, at the end of the day, when production is going up, we, we would have to use them both. And we already have farms that are bringing cows into the holding pen between milkings and they keep on cooling them when they come back to feed at the feed manger. This is, uh, this, this, uh, this, these are not very popular, but I think that the farm that Israel did his uh, research in Yavne is doing that for maybe 30 years now. They have a polygon so they have two holding pens, and on top of that, they have cooling system in the feed manger, including locks. So when the cows come from the holding pen, either from milking or from cooling, 
they will lock them down in the in the feeding manger for about 40 minutes and then automatically will release them. So they, they've been using both systems for many, many years. Actually, actually, uh, my, my answer was if I'm limited, where I, where I should put uh, my, my first uh, dollar? And then I say uh, this is more e efficient because in any case, you need to put cooling in the, in the waiting yard. You will not hold cows in summer in the holding in the holding pen without cooling. And if you have enough time to, and you don't have a, a long distances, and you can bring the cows between milking sessions, it's it's fine, it's okay. Uh, but but as uh, as Shimon said, uh, uh, we want to be on the safe side. And also in the Elim farm, they have when cows go back from 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 the cooling yard or the cooling the waiting yard after being cooled uh, six times per day. They have a very uh, effective uh, system. They have a sensor uh, uh, for every uh, fan. Uh, with uh, uh, in that in that case, the, uh, the it's not sprinklers. It is uh, misters in front of the fan, which uh, 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 gives a, a, a fine mist. But if this fine mist will, will be without the uh, wind stream of the fan, it will blow in the air. But when it comes with the uh, uh, with the uh, uh, fan, it it hits the cow and wets the cow somehow. Remember, the cows are coming back from the from the cooling yard. They are still a little bit uh, wetted. So you add humidity, uh, you add uh, uh, let's say moisture, and you cool the cows. So it costs it, 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 it. This system costs not much, and 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 you and you are on the safe side. And, and you could see the numbers of the Elim farm, they are much above, they are with almost zero hours above 39.2, while in the other study that I showed, the, 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 the good farms were four or five hours. And these four or five hours can make the difference in 10 percentage units or in two liters more of milk. So, so uh, the farm, the clever farmers in Israel don't take the risk. They cool the cows obligatory, the six hours, and then they give an additional time for the cows if they want it. It's better to be more than short. Yeah. Yeah. Shimon, I've been to um, Ron Solomon, who you probably know, yeah. took me to a, a kibbutz near the Dead Sea, and it was the lowest Kalia. dairy on earth. Is that, your, is that your kibbutz that you're talking about? No, no, no. He's 200 meters below me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, in this in this farm you mentioned, they recorded one 122 Fahrenheit last summer. <laughs> I asked the farmer, what are you doing there? He said, I am washing my cows day and night. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, speaking of water, we know that water is, is at a premium there in Israel. So are there any concerns with using water to cool cows? Look, I, 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 I said it in my lecture. We are, we, we are in another phase. We started desalinating water uh, and we have excess of water. Uh, all the all the big cities uh, consume uh, consuming this water and we recycle 80%. We are number one in the world also in recycle, recycling water from the big cities. So we are not short in water anymore. But uh, we all were raised, Shimon and myself, when we were young, every, every class in, in, in school was save water, save water, save water. But, but, but today we don't, have, we don't have to save water. And, and more of that, we, re we recycle even the water or using in order to produce uh, methane and then electricity. Mm -hmm. So it is not uh, it, it is not spending the water. I think in 10 years, California would not uh, suffer from uh, water shortage. I have heard that uh, they are doing a very large project in desalinating the ocean water. And uh, at the end of the day, this is this is the uh, the destiny of all of us as uh, changes in the world. And uh, I remember the time that I came to California and they were irrigating 
alpha alpha by flooding uh back in the 80s the uh but not anymore and so i think israel because we have one city that is uh very close to the red sea and we have uh we have dairies there and we started to uh, desalinate uh red sea waters i think 40 years ago or maybe 50 years ago and by now i think more than 50 percent of the water consumed in israel is desalinated water and, and, and 80% of this water that we use in our houses is recycled for agriculture and we pump it to the south of Israel. The Elim farm, for example, is in the middle of the desert, but not anymore because it is now surrounded with orchards and, and with, uh, with trees and it changed climate there. Nights used to be very cool and, and dry and now it is, it is humid like in the, in the yes. coastal part. The Alim farm is, is, uh, is very unique because for many, many years it is being managed by women for maybe 40 years. This is very unique. Yeah, very interesting. Gentlemen, are there any big issues that we, uh, we need to address before we close out here? You have to cool cows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very well. Well, then that uh, we'll call last call. And uh, ask each of you to kind of give us uh, one or two key takeaways from this that a, that a dairy farmer or a nutritionist could use on their farm. Tonight's pubcast stories are brought to you by Reassure Precision Release Choline. Reassure is the most researched encapsulated choline on the market today, consistently delivering results to your transition cows of higher peak milk, reduced metabolic disorders, and even in utero benefits to her calf leading to growth and health improvements. Visit balchem.com to learn more. So, and why don't we start, uh, Glenn, why don't we start with you? I kind of go back to my comment I said earlier about, uh, you know, the need to be a little more proactive in terms of, you know, what our dairies are doing to, to cool cows. Um, you might recall a few years ago, we tried to, to do kind of a series of weather reports where we looked out onto the, you know, the, the future forecast and just tried to give people some sense for here it's coming, you know, it's time to start doing something. Um, and, and that's probably true. I think the other big challenge is, at least in the United States, we have a lot of different kinds of climates here, a lot of different cooling system needs. And for people to be able to figure out what system is best for their operation, most cost effective. And um, so where I used to think maybe we were about done doing cooling research, I start to, after this presentation, uh, by Israel, I started wondering, man, we got to go back to the drawing board and start looking at it some more. So that's my two bits, Scott. Right. I, I, I will tell you something. Uh, I, I was asked and I am heading a, a scientific committee for the IDF. And we have two years to present our work report. And this report is exactly what you said. Uh, we have, we, we, our, our mission is to, uh, let's say, screen the, the different uh, uh, climatic conditions, actual and expected in the future, and, uh, and cooling systems, and try to uh, uh, recommend uh, uh, the appropriate cooling system for every kind of climate and, and, uh, and dairy farming. So this, this team, a scientific team, uh, consists of, uh, of uh, uh, 10, Experts. One of them is Albert De Vries from 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 Florida, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and we are working, uh, uh, trying to 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 bring uh, world farmers uh, the the message of how to cool properly the cows wherever you live. Excellent. And also, and also, we will include this economical uh, uh, chart in, in order to help farmers make the calculation because. The, 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 the only way to convince farmers to invest and make effort, because not, it's not only to invest money, but to make the effort to, to cool the cows and, 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 re, and the, resolve the problems of mud, etc., etc., the only way to, do, to convince him is to show him how much money he will save. Very well. Shimon, any final thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, coming from the the practical dairy farming, for me, the main part is looking at the cow. If you look to the cow, 
she will tell you exactly what she needs, especially in terms of cooling, because the, the, the amount of heat the cow produces and the uh, limitation of sweating will tell you exactly uh, what she needs. And if you, uh, if you do it right, you will see it right away on the cow. I have one farm uh, that had very bad cooling system until a year ago. Uh, tell yourself, because they have a small holding pan with a low roof, they could not use the holding pan. And it took me half a year to convince them to put in the uh, cooling effective effective cooling system in the in the feed manager and uh, last year in january they were producing 35 kilos of milk this year they have produced 40 kilos of milk and so this is this is the extent of changes that we still see in israel when a dairy farmer that he has to invest and it was heavy investment okay because now the the fans are very expensive he, he used the fans with the with the flippers and uh, but you can see the after a year after one summer of using he will see the difference and uh, uh, last december I visited the farm and I saw cows breathing heavily. This, this year, even in September, at the end of the summer, the cows were comfort. They were comfortable. So cooling cows, uh, you come from the, from, from the research. I come from the dairy. And my advantage that when I look at the string of cows i know what they should look like i know what they need and this is something that is uh not easy to teach in university and so what israel is offering a uh, uh, textbook to know what the cow needs in every part of the world as far as cooling is is uh, is needed. All right. Thank you, Shimon. Uh, it's been great seeing you again. Look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. Uh, Lance, any final words from you? Yeah, just I kind of agree with almost everyone. I think Shimon mentioned earlier about the Israeli nutritionists. I think they could also um, use some um, more information about how feed supplements can help. Like you mentioned earlier, right? They're you not tell about this to Ron Solomon. I, <laughs> I sent Ron an email right now. Um, it's no magic bullet, right? But uh, proper nutrition and proper nutritional strategies can be a key component of a summer strategy. It is. Yeah. Thank you, Lance. And Dr. Flamin Baum, I'll give you the floor for the final time. Well, I think I, I think that I I, I already said uh, uh, the the, uh, the the most important thing is uh, do things properly. Uh, the knowledge exists. There are so many articles, so many research reports. Everything is known. Everything is written. Just do it, and do it according to the recommendations. Uh, but in order to convince people to do it, you have to stimulate them. And I said before, what is the, the way to stimulate them? It's to show them the cost effectiveness of, of, of the effort they are going to do. Mm. That's it. All right. Well, it thank you it, for that. It, it, works, it works in so many countries. I'm running projects that uh, uh, it is significantly working. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Dr. Flammenbaum. Uh, thank you, uh, gentlemen, for joining us here today. I think we can all agree that, that heat stress can have a devastating impact on our animals as well as our pocketbook. Uh, and, and the one thing, you know, that, that my key takeaway from Dr. Flammenbaum is that it's completely possible to mitigate 
the the impact of of heat. And so, uh, you know, there's some steps we've got to take, but I, I'm certainly uh, uh, enthusiastic about that. So. Also, wants uh, to thank our loyal listeners for once again spending some time uh, with us here at the pub, and uh, we hope to see you next time here at the Real Science Exchange, where it's always happy hour and you're always among friends. All right, Cheers. folks. Cheers. We'd love to hear your comments or ideas for topics and guests, so please reach out via email to anh.marketing@balchem.com with any suggestions, and we'll work hard to add them to the schedule. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating on your way out. You can request your Real Science Exchange t-shirt in just a few easy steps. Just like or subscribe to the Real Science Exchange and send us a screenshot along with your address and t-shirt size to anh.marketing at balchem.com. Balchem's Real Science Lecture Series of webinars continues with ruminant-focused topics on the first Tuesday of every month, monogastric-focused topics on the second Tuesday of each month, and quarterly topics for the companion animal segment. Visit balchem.com slash real science to see the latest schedule and to register for upcoming webinars.